Hello and welcome to The Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings and every episode I have the distinct privilege of presenting E.C. with a question on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, we aim to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being. Thank you as always for tuning in. How are you today, EC? I'm awesome. Thank you. We are going to talk about something today that you've sort of labeled, you know, weight, health, and worth, or the distinction between weight, health, and worth. And it's going to be a conversation on a movement. I don't know if that's the right way to call it, but a movement called Health at Every Size. And I'm excited to get into this because I had not heard, I'd heard of this a little bit, but I'd not heard about this or I haven't heard about this too much. So I'm excited and interested to hear your take on this. But first, we mentioned this in our last episode, you've got a new masterclass coming out very soon. Why don't you tell people about it to make sure they know and they can jump into it? Yeah, so this podcast gets released on the 30th of March, and we are kicking off the masterclass on Sunday, April 4th. So coming up quite quickly, go through the masterclass with me, learn the 10 principles that kind of underpin all diets, go through the 800 gram challenge in detail, lazy macros, macros and details, and hopefully the goal is to end your diet confusion. So again, when you start with me, you're able to get your question answered in real time with lives every week. Mm. And there's also a big discount because I want to incentivize you actually going through the course and getting it done. Okay. So where do folks find out more about that if they're interested? Yeah. OptimizeMeNutrition.com slash masterclass. All right, my friend. Health at every size. Let's get some background on what that means, what that is, where it comes from. Yeah. And in fact, you know, I, I get a good number of questions about like, what's your opinion about health at every size? And I, I do want to get into the details of that. And we certainly will. But I think one of the best places to start is is just frame this entire discussion. And you already kind of said these three words, but we need to kind of delineate these three words and, and they are weight, health and worth. And you know, I just want to make it really clear. Like we have these different words in the English language because they have different meanings, right? Like yeah. don't yep. confuse them. Don't use them as synonyms. And when you do that, and when you keep them as different words and meanings, I, I think there isn't that much disagreement. It's it's when we start using them interchangeably is, mm. is where we start to have some problems. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, one of the things that CrossFit did really well or early on in the process is they defined their terms, right? And they said, Part of the problem was just everybody was using the the word fitness to mean 44 different things, right? So we're going to actually, this is what it's going to mean, right? Yeah. Cool. So let's set the stage for health at every size. What is it? How did it get started? What's the basic messaging? Give, give us a little context as to like what this health at every size movement is doing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, from what I can see, there was some of the concepts and the ideas dating back to the 60s, but the words health at every size and that really started to formulate more so in the 80s. And health at every size is generally combined with the intuitive eating approach that I've also gotten a lot of questions about and will have to be the subject of its own podcast. But the you know the origin of this idea is really the 80s and it's now promoted by the Association of Size Diversity and Health. And I would consider health at every size sort of a combination of an anti-discrimination movement as well as a health hypothesis. And you know what? I think there's some really great points in it. I really do. There's some of it that's just like this is awesome. And then there are some things that I also think are off and actually a disservice to people. Okay. Let's go first to the you know defining some terms weight, health, worth. Why does it matter to start to to pull those apart a little bit? 
and especially as it relates to health at every size? Yeah, I think it's probably easiest to start with worth because this is what I believe aligns with their sort of anti-discrimination aspect of health at every size. And I support it 100%. You know, from the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health, I quote, health status should never be used to judge, oppress, or determine the value of an individual, end quote. Yeah, like no questions, no issues with this. Fat shaming, weight stigma, any discrimination about body size needs to go. And, you know, like just to be very clear, your worth is not dictated by your weight and your worth is not even dictated by your health. And you know what? If it takes health at every size, making a campaign out of that to help people dissociate worth from weight or worth from health, I think that's great and I support that. They Mm -hmm. also make this point in that same statement from the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health, quote, pursuing health is neither a moral imperative or an individual obligation, end quote. And I also agree with this. I don't think there should be any moral superiority complex by those pursuing health. And I don't think it's your obligation per se to have to pursue your own health. Instead, it's your choice to what degree you want to pursue and improve your health based on your understanding of the risk of death, disease, and quality of life, which we're going to get into. But Mm -hmm. how we got so confused on worth intertwined with weight and health, I don't know. I mean, I think certainly marketing and mainstream media has not helped. But yeah, yeah, worth is not found in your weight or health. They're different words. Don't use them interchangeably. Okay, so that leaves the other two, weight and health. How do you want to start teasing these two apart? Yeah, this is this is where I start to have some disagreements with with health at every size. Their main point is that your health is not defined solely by your weight, your BMI, your body mass index, or your size. And guess what? I agree on that point. And this also should not come as a surprise to the listeners. In fact, we talked about this at length in both the Quick Bites number three episode, where I teased out weight versus BMI versus health. And we also talked about this in Quick Bites two, where I explained the genetic variation in fat storage such that we can have thin people who have disease and we can also have overweight people who are healthy. So yeah, mm-hmm. weight by itself doesn't tell us if you're healthy or well. I want to know, you know, tell me all the markers, tell me the fasting glucose, tell me the triglycerides, tell me the cholesterol, tell me your diet, what are you eating? Tell me a fitness marker or two, and then we can really determine your health risk. You know, I don't know why we keep trying to find one marker when we do better by looking at many. So health is multifactorial. Mm. Using your weight to only find your health is silly and not an accurate representation. And I agree with that. The problem what I have with health at every size is it seems they want to throw the metric out completely then. And I quote, they reject the use of weight, size, or BMI as proxies for health, end quote. So that's my problem. Like just because weight, BMI, or size is not the only factor doesn't mean it's not a factor. And I like to use my trusty speeding example here. You know, speeding is a factor in many car crashes, although it's certainly not the cause of all of them. But Mm -hmm. can you imagine if they were to say, well, you know, speeding doesn't cause all of the car crashes, so we're just going to stop considering it as a reason for the accident. No, like we include it in the whole picture. It's the same thing with weight. I I just don't understand why it's a contentious conversation. It's not a value judgment. It's a discussion of risk. Like a person who speeds is, is not a bad person. And I think that it's become contentious because 
or in circumstances where it's become contentious, it's because that person has intertwined, again, the words weight with worth and health. So Mm -hmm. your health picture includes your weight as well as many other factors, and your worth has nothing to do with either. Now, again, another example, like doctors recommend to people that they should stop smoking because it increases their risk of death and disease. That's not a controversial thing. They also will suggest to patients to reduce their weight because that reduces their risk of death and disease. It's it's not that they think less of you. And in fact, I've seen statements that, you know, doctors are discriminating by saying things about someone's weight. No, it's quite the opposite. It's out of care. They're, they're effectively telling you that you're speeding. Mm. So I know you well enough to know that you, in preparing for this, you you went to wherever you could find some data, some evidence, some some studies to back up these ideas. So what does that look like? What does the evidence look like related to weight and health and the distinction between them? Yeah, I mean, we've certainly talked about, you know, there's tons of associations between your weight increasing and increasing your risk of a chronic disease like diabetes, like heart disease, chronic kidney disease, some types of cancers, the list goes on and on. And it's association, but we also have mechanisms to explain why that association exists. Now, what I did look into was kind of what are some of the counter arguments from the health at every size movement related Mm -hmm. to wanting to throw out, you know, kind of weight, BMI and size. And one of the things that they bring up is that they say that weight size BMI is not a good predictor of longevity. Okay. Two factors here. First, we already covered it. Health is multifactorial. Like I'm not surprised that we can't link longevity to one metric (laughs) that we can't say it's just dependent on your weight. It's just dependent on your BMI because it's like, yeah, are they smoking? Are they exercising? What foods are they eating? You know, so on and so forth. So to try to use that as the reason why weight shouldn't be part of the overall health picture is weak. You know, it's trying to convince people of reductionist approach to their health picture and, and and their risk. And to be honest, I think it's deceitful. The other thing to point out, and I, I think we've touched on it, is, okay, like longevity is interesting, but what about the quality of life? Like, mm-hmm. if I have diabetes and have to get dialysis three times a week, and I have all these other risks and complications like amputation or blindness, like I'm alive, but how is my quality of life effective? You know, I think people hear about diabetes and it's like, Oh, you know, you just take you just take medications, but do you know about all of those other complications and risk and how your day-to-day life has changed like chronic kidney disease? Okay, now we're looking at risk higher risk for gout or bone disease or edema, that's water retention. It's not just like you just take a pill and everything and just keeps going on quite fine. So, right. we can't use these association studies of longevity versus just BMI versus just weight and then discount those metrics in their entirety. Again, I just think it's kind of trying to simplify the solution or the answer to a point at which it's no longer helping people. And I think something else is really interesting here. You know, modern medicine is probably changing the longevity of those individuals, right? Like we've got statins, we've got antihypertensives, we've got diabetes medications such that those individuals with those comorbidities, their longevity is being affected by the fact that we've come up with modern medicine solutions to deal with that, right? So Mm -hmm. is it fair to say those diseases result in the same type of longevity or better if they're being managed by conventional medicine? And, And you might say, yeah, well, I mean, the medicines are available, so just use them and it doesn't really matter. 
I would argue like our COVID pandemic illustrates quite well that there is actually a massive disparity in health outcomes when we're looking at somebody who's on, you know, medications for managing a chronic disease versus somebody who doesn't have a comorbidity. I mean, 94% of the deaths with coronavirus had have at least one other condition or comorbidity, which includes obesity. So yeah, modern medicine is amazing and has, has helped individuals with various chronic diseases extend their life. But in the face of something unknown, it's certainly not an equal playing field. And that's what I'm really trying to convey. It's the increased risk. It's the increased risk of death, disease, and equally important quality of life. And with that information, yes, it is your choice if you want to pursue habits that decrease your health risk or not. But I think that's really the whole picture that needs to be put out there. Yeah. When we started this, at least insinuated that you have a few issues with maybe what Health at Every Size is putting out there. We've definitely talked a lot about weight versus health, certainly with worth thrown in there. What else, if anything, have you found in looking at what they're doing, what they're talking about, what the message that they're putting out there? Where else do maybe you find some issue? There's a few different things that they push back on, but I think another big one that health at every size proponents say is not true. They say that anyone who is, they disagree with the statement that anyone who is determined can lose weight and keep it off through diet and exercise. Effectively, they don't believe that weight loss is a choice. Now, Mm. I can already hear some criticisms rolling in before I give my opinion. I do want to be clear that that weight loss is not a choice for every single human being on the planet, right? There are some circumstances where weight and health are out of an individual's control, and I totally recognize that there are some genetic conditions and medications that increase weight, and, and those individuals should know who they are. I'm not talking to them. There's also some socioeconomic factors, right? Influencing people's education and control over one's health. I totally get that. I also want to be realistic about who I think is listening to this podcast. And I think if we've got our audience right, I'm willing to bet there's a significant amount of education and affluence in our listeners. And I don't mean, you know, buying mansions and more money than they know what to do with, but I do mean, you know, buying gym memberships, getting the new iPhone, the ability to purchase the foods of their choice and so on. You know, the knowledge that, you know, more whole foods are better than fast foods, the means to buy those fruits and vegetables. And, And with that group, yes, you have the power and the means to make it a choice. Weight loss, I do think is a choice within that group. Now, here's the wrinkle. It's a choice within the limits of your genetics. Yes, there are people that are going to be more lean or more stocky, but they have the ability to achieve kind of a healthy weight standard, not an unhealthy level of leanness, not bodybuilding, six-pack abs. No, just standard healthy body sizes is readily available for a large percentage of the population. And even with this, I I do recognize there's other factors. There's potential mental health issues that are feeding into kind of somebody's dietary habits. Those certainly need to be dealt with first to make headway on nutrition. I understand that. We can also talk about the role of food subsidies and the government and major food corporations. What is their role in kind of perpetuating the food environment out there? Yeah, I I do recognize this is a complex issue that if we're going to solve it, it's going to be a multi-prong approach if we're going to be able to address every single person completely. But I also think this idea to completely absolve the idea that many people have the power and control to change their situation is is inaccurate, right? And I, I mm. believe that if processed food came with a pretty hefty price tag, we would see how quickly, how much of a choice it, it can be. Now, What's interesting is what health at every size proponents will often do is they'll cite how many failed diets there are as evidence that 
weight loss doesn't work for some people. That weight loss is not a choice. Like, oh my gosh, 86% or whatever the number is of diets fail, right? Mm-hmm. And what I say is like, well, which diets are we talking about? You know, there's, there's a ton of crappy and gimmicky diets out there, you know, detox teas and creams. I just saw this one, like weight magnets, like you put magnets on your body, apparently, and you're going nice. to lose weight. <laughs> like, me up. I mean, I don't know. Like if you're trying to do a weight loss approach and it's not some you know, moderate approach to whole foods and where you're consistently reducing your calories and combining with exercise and good sleep. Like, yeah, let me tell you, it's going to fail. Right. And so perhaps there is a discussion that needs to be had for who's allowing these sham diets to really do people into systems that don't work. But I don't think that we should say that like diets don't work based on all of the diets that are out there. It's just, it's a weak mm. argument. Again, it's telling the the wrong, the wrong information to people about nutrition. Like I can tell you very clearly why the magnets aren't working, <laughs> why the <laughs> detox teas aren't cutting it. And that's what people deserve to hear. What are the factors that actually control the outcome that they want? And then guess what? They get to decide what to do with that information. I've said it before. I have very little interest in telling people what to do. What I want to do is present the best information I can and they decide what they want to do with that. Part of what we try to do, I think, here with every episode is give some action, give some application. Like, okay, now that you understand this, here's what we can do. As it relates to health at every size, I think I hear at least the argument that they're making based on this conversation here. But what is their recommendation for action at the end of that argument? Is it, well, since it's not a choice and it doesn't matter go do whatever you want. Like that feels to me like the logical recommendation after making the argument it seems they're making. Yeah, it seems that they rely mostly on the intuitive eating approach. And I definitely want to spend a whole podcast kind of going into that. But a lot of that intuitive eating approach, so that I don't dodge your question entirely, a lot of it (laughs) deals with mindful eating, you know, being aware of what you're eating. Are you actually hungry? Not trying to do emotional eating, you know, focusing on foods that nourish your body and make you feel good. And I think that stuff is great. Like, again, when we get into intuitive eating, I have a feeling it's going to kind of be this split vote for me of like, I like this part and I don't like this part, right? And the reason why I kind of flinch a little bit is, again, it's sort of like half the picture. I I do think that it's great that we can deal with emotional eating and have people dissociate their weight from their worth and they'll feel better overall. And kind of the, the psychological aspects of that are huge. But I do also think people want weight loss, right? Like there is a goal out there that they might feel better at a lighter weight. They might, they also want to just be proactive about their health. And so I think for those people that truly want weight loss, like, we also have to address how exactly they're going to go about and get that. We have to present weight control in a straightforward way that's not about obsessive restriction, that doesn't come with fear-mongering, that doesn't come with a ton of frustration. You know, give people the tools to deal with the emotional eating side. That's great. And then guess what? Also give them the tools to deal with the underpinnings of the physiology. And so uh, I don't understand why it has to be either or. I don't think it has to be. And we'll definitely get more into that in the next podcast. But like, I think we said this on the low fat versus low carb podcast. It's like, let's use that trusty word and let's use multiple approaches to really get the best outcome for people. Yeah, I feel like I have so many questions. Well, I think the biggest one to me is, right? So they, and I know that you're not an expert on health at every size. And so if we don't know, I totally understand that. But this idea of health at every size just that phrase is putting the idea that the goal here is health, right? Like that's the point of it. Like that's the subject of the movement is health. 
And yet everything that we've talked about today seems to be wandering away from health and trying to replace it with something. And the something to me, the thing that pops in my head is like, we want you to feel good about yourself. And that's the point of it, which again, I'm not arguing. I think everybody should feel good about themselves, but it's curious to me that their aim doesn't seem to be making people healthy. It seems to be making people feel better about themselves, regardless of whatever situations they might find themselves in. Totally. I love that point. I I probably, because I'm probably going to go on a little bit of a rant here, but but the first thing that I want to bring up is you know, stress is a factor in people's health and their their psychological beliefs about themselves ultimately can be a confounding factor in why they end up making choices like eating the apple over the cookie and going to work out. So mm-hmm. we can't discount how powerful that can be for someone to then actually make the changes that they need to do, right? And so this is where I can't myself get so dogmatic about intuitive eating or that type of mindful approach. Because if it ultimately leads to people eating the proper amount of quality and quantity, that's a win. You know, it's just like the Mm -hmm. same thing for for keto for me. It's like, I don't love it, but if that's how we get the win, that's how we get the win. And I can't be too worried about the method. So that that's one of the things is that I do think there's almost a waterfall or whatever the momentum snowball. That's the one I want. <laughs> What's the weather element I need here? <laughs> a snowball effect of somebody feeling better and therefore being motivated to do all these other changes, right? And so I think yeah. that's some of the most powerful to it. But again, I think it's just sort of like not really addressing things head on. It's like, well, we're going to kind of redefine some terms and not use the whole picture and not really give all of the information. And I'm like, why? Like, we can do Mm. all of this. We can address the psychological aspect and we can address the physiological aspect. And guess what? Like, there's going to be experts who are going to help people with mindful eating way better than I can. And maybe I have some approaches on the day-to-day and explaining the physiology that will also help them get there. So yeah, to me, it's a little bit of trying to ignore some things that are helpful to people and really are kind of facing what needs to be known for them to optimize their health. Yeah. And then the other big thing that you talked about is this idea that it's a choice or it's not a choice, right? This, 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 you know, I guess it's an argument between whether, whether we have choice in the matter. And that to me feels like not only as it relates to health at every size, but that often feels to me like the barrier that so many folks have is not recognizing one, that it is a choice and that Two, by not making that choice maybe a little bit more intentionally, they are in fact making choices. And once you can get somebody to recognize that whether or not you want it to be or whether or not you're doing it on purpose, you're making lots of choices all the time, right? You make the choice to pay attention or you make the choice not to, right? We've talked a lot about when folks log their their food. You make the choice to, to conveniently ignore the six bites of ice cream at the end of the night even if it doesn't feel like a choice, right? And so to me, that feels like, and I guess it's a question to you, is does that, in your experience with the folks that you work with, is a big part of making progress for them just first recognizing that they are making choices and that they're responsible for those choices if they want to get to wherever the heck they want to get to, whether it's a podium on the CrossFit Games or losing 15 pounds or 20 pounds? Totally. Yeah, I hope to. Like, that's one of the things that I love people to understand is they do have the power and the control. I mean, again, using any other field outside of nutrition, it's like, how how do you get things done 
in your life that aren't about eating? How do you, you know, show up to your job and how do you, right. you know, whatever, become a better parent, like you making the choice to put in conscious effort to it. And I think it's the same thing is true with nutrition. Now, of course we have some outliers and of course we have some conditions that, you know, not everybody has 100% control of all the things, but that also doesn't mean that nobody has control. And I would love for people right to empower people to that versus being like, Oh, it's just totally out of your control. Again, the extreme, that extreme is just not, not an accurate representation either. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. Just as a reminder, folks who want to jump into the masterclass, it's starting on April 1st, uh, April 4th, sorry, optimizemenutrition.com slash masterclass. And you can go through it with EC. You can ask her all your questions as you go. And thank you, as always, for tuning in. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. And we'll be back with another episode soon of The Consistency Project. Hi, all. EC here. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the show. Thank you as well for all the support, for the five-star ratings and the reviews, and for telling your friends or family about the podcast that really does help the podcast grow. And if you want to get the most recent info from me and be up to date on all of my content, the best place for that is my email list. So you can subscribe at optimizemenutrition.com slash email. I send out emails weekly-ish, <laughs> and that's also the best place to get your question in the queue for Quick Bites episodes. So again, that's optimizemenutrition.com slash email, and there's also a link in the show notes.